0: good to be a part of this gospel that we celebrate, that we're studying in Romans. And it is this gospel that Paul writes of in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you, have be you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For here's the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And all the people said, amen. For by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2.8, it is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not of the results of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you now that you'll take this gospel and impress it upon us, Save those who need to be saved. Sanctify those who need to continue steps in sanctification. And Father, we look forward to being glorified as we stand in Christ perfect that day. And so, Father, now as we open your word, thank you that you speak. Thank you that you speak powerfully. Thank you that it is your word that changes us. And so we submit ourselves to you and you're speaking to our lives today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in Romans chapter 5, finishing up this series here. Um, next week is Easter, and we will celebrate together. Hope you'll get a chance to grab some of the cards in the back and invite a friend or neighbor this week to our Easter services, both 9:30 and 11 next week. Come and enjoy um, our celebration together. It should be a good Sunday. Um, but we're finishing up in Romans chapter 5. This is the best and clearest and most uh, comprehensive explanation of this gospel that saves us, that we celebrate and we teach Uh, Weekly, You know, I'm I'm a pretty simple guy, Um, and so I love that we are saved by this simple message. Um, I live and work with a bunch of really smart people, and I really love them, and I'm really challenged by them, but I'm glad that this message of the gospel is simple enough for me, simple enough for you, simple enough for children to understand and be saved, Uh, that if we put our faith in Jesus and trust Him and what He did for us on the cross, give our lives to Him, we are made Brand new and become his child. And so we call this real life transformation that uh, when we receive the message of the gospel, uh, we are saved and we are made new and we are on this path of becoming like Christ that he's doing in us. And then we take that message and we share it to the nations, to not only our city and our friends and neighbors, but also uh, to Cuba, as Pastor Robert has talked about, and plant churches and spread this message everywhere we can in our city. And we call this real life multiplication where we take the message that has changed us and share it and pass it on so others will be saved. But Paul is going to summarize now this little section of this message of the gospel that we share, and he's going to do it by making a really big, grand comparison. He's going to compare Adam and what Adam did with Christ and what Christ did. That's what this whole text is about, and the aim of this text in that comparison is that we would see the glory of Christ, and we would see the beauty of the gospel, that we would see its simplicity and that we would see its power to change lives, that Jesus would be glorified and praised amongst us. So let's make this comparison this morning. I want to begin by looking in point one here, the grave problem. That's a big word, and the problem really is grave, difficult, challenging, enormous, serious, and then the glorious solution uh, in verses 15 to 21. So grab your Bible or your app on your phone, the U version, or you can turn in your Bible in front of you to page 942, and you'll find this little section that we're going to study this morning. So it begins here, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, here is the problem. That sin came into the world through Adam. Adam sinned, it says, and therefore death came as a consequence, and death spread to all people, and all people then sinned, <laughs> but it started with Adam sinning. And we have inherited that. It's not really great news, but you got to start with bad news you get the good news and so here it is death came into the world through Adam death came to all men because all sinned and every one of us in this room are part of Adam's race and therefore all of us are sinners and all of us will die apart from anything we did you are born I am born our children are born our grandchildren are born if you haven't noticed sinners <laughs> right we know this we see it. Psalm 51.5 says we are born in iniquity. Ephesians 2.3 says we are by nature children of wrath like all mankind. Inherited from Athen Adam, nothing that we did. And I have noticed this in my own life and in my own family. I remember when our first child was 21 months, Carl, and our second one, Bjorn, was born. And uh, I couldn't believe how my 21-month-old son treated my new little baby boy. He would take his stuffed animals and just clobber him and just pound him. I mean, it, lo- it looked dangerous. Like what, is, like, what is wrong with you, right? Well, that's what this text is answering. And it literally, I mean, it was one of those things where, you know, most little children, you might buy them, a, a, at least back in these days. I don't know what children parents do today, but uh, a crib to kind of keep them kind of enclosed, right? Or, or a playpen kind of thing. We put Bjorn in that to protect him from Carl. It was his safe place. That's what we had to have. And that was the problem in our family. Now, fortunately, our children have repented. They've trusted Jesus as Savior, and they're living for the Lord today. So I'm really grateful. They still occasionally have their issues, but they are being sanctified by the grace of God, and we're thankful uh, for that. But this this wasn't taught. We didn't teach them that. They're just that way. And you and I know it, and, we, and you and I are that way, aren't we? Because we have been born, apart from anything we've done, with this thing called a sin nature, and therefore we die. Now, Paul restates it, just in case we missed it, in verses 13 and 14, he's pointing out how sin came to us <laughs> before we even did anything wrong. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. No rule to break. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses before the law, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And so he's restating the point. The sin was already there, right? The law came. It didn't make us sin. It aggravated what was already there. It aggravated the sin, it says in Romans 7, 5. And therefore we all die because of Adam. Adam sin being passed down to us. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, all inherited from him. Now I realize that this is kind of a difficult teaching, even though we know it's true. It's a difficult teaching because we in America are sort of these rugged individualists, right, that we're only accountable for ourselves, you know, and and to have something that somebody else did suddenly invade my space and who I am seems unfair to us Americans. Talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But I, just just briefly here, because this isn't the point of this sermon, but to say that we would do well, I think, as Americans, because we're so individualistic, to be accountable as a group. God puts us in groups and in places of community, and we should be accountable for those communities in some ways that I think would be helpful and healthy for us. We are, after all, the church, right? And as the church, it isn't just about me and what I get out of it and how I'm behaving. It's about us together collectively. What is our collective witness? And if somebody in the church is, is marring our collective witness, we ought to care about that. We ought to try to do something about that. That would be a better us if we would. Or how about this city? you care about this city? I mean, I love this city. We we are privileged to live in this city. We should care about how this city is doing and do something about it when it's messed up, right? How about our nation? This is our nation. I'm proud to be and live in America. I'm proud of our nation. We're messed up, right? And, and, And we should do something about it. Instead of just complaining about it and collect taxes and pay taxes and collect Social Security or whatever, we should do something about it. I love the book of Daniel, where Daniel in chapter 9 is just praying, and he's, and, and he's not confessing his own sin. He's just saying, God, we as a nation have messed up. Please forgive us. Have mercy on us. And we should have, as a heart, I think, um, a desire to own together what we are as a community of people. That would be good for us as americans now that's not the point of what paul's trying to say here but but he is laboring to make a very specific point and the point will become clear here in the next few minutes but he's he's really laboring at this because this is kind of a lot of deep theology to take us through but he's trying to get at something but the first thing he's trying to do is to deal with the jewish community in the, in the church that thought they were better than the gentiles there was a sense of superiority amongst this race of people And Paul is going, oh no, (laughs) you don't get away with that. We're all in Adam. We're all sinners, and we're all going to die. There are no favorites here. And and this is important theologically that that the problem centers in Adam and his race, and there is only one problem, and that's it it's the sin in the race of Adam, which is everybody. Therefore, there is only one solution. You deal with the Adam problem, you got it solved. And that's why Christ is the only answer. He solves the problem for all of Adam's race. There's not a thousand different options to get right with God. There's one option to get right with God because there's only one problem, and that's Adam and his race. Now, this practically, right, is humbling to the ground uh, for every one of us, isn't it? We know this is true. We struggle and we battle against our flesh and this carnal nature that is, if we're in Christ, being put to death bit by bit. But it's a very painful reality. We, we, we recognize that Paul <laughs> is right when he writes in Romans 7, I, the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do, I don't do. And it's a painful thing. It's a painful thing being a sinner. It's so humbling. Um, I, I think there is value in facing this so squarely as this text does because it teaches us to be gracious to one another, right? I mean, <laughs> I can't sit here and really find fault with you and be upset with you because I know what I do, right? And what I am sometimes. And Frank, what I found out, frankly, is that uh, when I start getting critical of people, God lets me crash to teach me one more time right (laughs) don't act in any high headed way toward people because you've got the exact same problem we're all in Adam now this isn't this sermon nor is it really this series but next year we're going to do Romans 6 through 11 the front end of 2020 and it makes pretty clear that this is a vicious thing that we have called the flesh and this only solution to it is to kill it you either kill it or you get killed by it. That's how bad it is. So you don't monkey around with it because if you monkey around with it, it'll swallow you up because sin always leads to death. And so next year, you come back next year in January and we'll we'll talk a lot about that, right? So yeah, that's a long way. but if we were doing Romans all at once, we'd be here forever. So we've broken it over three years. So, Um, Now, now, I am responsible to find God's solution to this problem and respond to it. And that's what we're going to talk about next. This is a grave problem, but it's got a a glorious solution. And um, Paul begins to take this on and move us that direction because he then introduces this sinning problem. Verse 14, I'll read it again. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not the transgression of Adam. And then it says, Adam was, this is the hinge verse, Adam was a type of the one who was to come. So this is the comparison now that we're going to have uh, in this text that's going to bring our hearts alive, I hope. That's the aim. Um, that Adam is a type of Christ, and a type is a picture or an example of Christ. It's not a perfect one, as we're going to see. There's some exceptions that the author's going to actually talk about, but Christ is called the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15. There's some similarities here that are going to help us understand the gospel. It's really super important. So let's move on and let's read through these verses and and see this this solution that Paul now brings as he summarizes this gospel in this text, this glorious solution that's found in Christ. And the comparison is Adam and what he did and Jesus and what he did. Adam's work, Christ's work. There's some similarities and then there's some dissimilarities. But it's one big problem Adam and the sin that's been passed on through the human race and one big solution, which is Christ and what he did for us. And the aim again of this is to magnify Christ, to make him great so that we would love him and worship him and respond to him. Now, what Paul is doing is he's writing to some real people in Rome and he starts, you know, in this little verse, he said, now Adam is like Christ and you can imagine the people going, what? <laughs> right, that's about as far apart as you can imagine. And so in response to that, Paul begins immediately. He says, I'm going to have a comparison. But, next first few verses, it's not like this. And it's not like this. And it's not like this. And then eventually goes, Now, this is what it's like. Okay? So that's what's happening here. So there's actually a parenthesis in verses 15 to 17 that says, Okay, Adam is like Christ, but not in this way. But it is in this way, verse 18. Okay? That's what we're dealing with here. So what I want to do is I want to jump to 18. To show the comparison that Paul is working at, that the, the likeness, and then I want to come back to the exceptions. Okay, so I'm going to jump down. Here we are. Here's the type, and here is what it is, what it is like. Therefore, as one trespass, verse 18, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men okay so here's how it's like in the same way that adam's one sin led to the condemnation of everybody we all became sinners we all die right in the same way one act of righteousness and that's christ's life leads to justification and life for all men see the similarities you see why why paul is making such a big deal Uh, this was just inherited from Adam it's apart from anything we did because there is a likeness in Christ when we believe in Jesus we become righteous and holy apart from anything we do that's the similarity in the same way that we got Adam's sin nature and we're sinners didn't do anything good or bad just got it and we're gonna die So in Christ, when we put our faith in him, we get his righteousness apart from anything we do. It's called a gift in this text. There's the similarity. This is why Paul is pressing the Adam thing so hard, so that we would understand the grace of the gospel. It's not about what we do. It's about just receiving it. It's a free gift. You see? And so, then, for those who would say and understandably so this isn't fair what I've been given I mean I'm born a sinner and you know and I'm gonna die that's not fair is it well it's not fair that you just got the righteousness of Christ and get eternal life apart from anything you did either and in fact when you compare the not compare the not fairs, right the greater not fair is what you get in Jesus <laughs> that's the point <laughs> right not fair that you were born a sinner Well, (laughs) it's it's really not fair that you get eternal life and Christ's righteousness and become his child apart from anything you do. Okay. Now, what theologians do with this is they call it imputed righteousness. You might hear it referred to as the great exchange, where I'll read it in fact Second Corinthians five twenty one. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Okay, so Christ takes our sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We get Christ's righteousness given to us apart from anything we do. We're justified, it says, which means we're declared not guilty because Jesus took the punishment that we deserve for our sin and died for us in our place, took the death we deserved, and we are given the righteousness of Christ so that we stand fully accepted not in anything we've done. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible tells us, We get Christ's righteousness, which is perfect. And the Father looks upon us as loved and accepted children of God in Christ's righteousness. Now, I was thinking about how could, how do we share this with maybe our children, for example? And I thought, well, this is one thing families could do to understand this sort of great exchange is, and these are really great with children because they love them, these dollar coins. If you ever hear on Christmas Eve, we've done this. Children love dollar coins. But you could, mom or dad, have a stack of these dollar coins. Um, and when dinner is over, right, and napkins are dirty, this is a, I don't know what child used that, Some one of yours probably. So <laughs> <laughs> messy napkin, right, at the end of the night, dinner's over, we are going to make a great exchange. Children, I will give you a dollar coin if you give me your dirty napkin. And all the children will say amen to that, right? In fact, they'll get pretty doggone excited, won't they? So you trade them. Give me your dirty napkin. I give you a dollar coin. And all the children rejoice. Don't they? And that shows us how we ought to respond when we understand what Jesus has done for us. When we trade our filthy rags for something infinitely precious. In fact, I think our children might rejoice more over the dollar coin than you and I rejoice over Jesus sometimes. Huh? And I think, you know, if you've got enough dollar coins in your pocket, you could do that several nights. My kids will start to get it. They'll understand this great exchange. Something precious. All I do is give up my dirty, filthy napkin. And I get something precious. Woo! Right? Pretty soon they can understand Jesus. So, anyway, that's maybe a possibility. So this is the gospel. This is what happens. We put our faith in him. Uh, Ephesians 2 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. We put our faith in Christ that... Um, He takes all of our filth and we get his righteousness as we rest in his finished work for us okay so there's the likeness okay now there's a couple ways in which um, this comparison doesn't hold up it's not like okay that's the parentheses of verses 15 uh, through 17 and we see that if you see verse 15 he says but the free gift is not like and he says several things verse 16 and the free gift is not like several other things so let's look at now how these Adam and Christ are Different and not like, all (coughs) right? Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, and that's the operative word here, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Christ Jesus, abounded for many. So here's a comparison of a not like that sin brings death the wages of sin is death but way greater is this thing where when we put our faith in Jesus we get life we get justification we are made new we become his children and so in this epic battle that's going on between Christ and who we are and Adam grace and the gospel Conquers and defeats sin and death It's way greater, it's way better It abounds in a greater way, that's the picture This epic battle, it's like the woman Caught in adultery in, in John chapter 8 And here she is, she's caught And the Pharisees have her, right And they're going to bring her out as an example And they bring her out before the, the crowd And they say this woman Before Jesus, they're testing him uh, Is caught in adultery Right And uh, the law of Moses says Adultery deserves death Wages of sin is death. So what are you going to do, Jesus? And Jesus uh, gets down and writes something, you know, right? Grace wins every time, right, or something. And He's writing. And he gets up and he says, okay, uh, the one who is without sin casts the first stone. And they slowly slink away. Um, And he turns to the lady and says, well, where are your condemners? Well, they all left. Okay, well, I don't condemn you either, right? Grace is greater. It's greater than all our our sin. See, sin, it's a wage. It says the wages of sin is death, brings death. There's nothing really dramatic about that. There's nothing really dramatic about a wage when you do something and you get something for it because you earned it, right, good or bad. It's just a wage. Nothing really special about it. It's just, it's holy, it's true, but it's not really glorious. But when God comes and Jesus dies in our place and now you get eternal life free apart from anything you do, something you didn't deserve. That just, whoa, that just lights us up and it changes us. When we get grace, it just transforms our inner selves. It's, cause it's not even fair, it's not true. I mean, it's true, but it's like hard to believe that it's true. And that is grace. It's superior to the wage of of sin, which is death. And God has given me um, Many examples of this in my life, of how grace transforms us over the years. I feel like I'm just like this big bucket of grace that God has just poured into a sinner who doesn't deserve it, who has just poured grace in my life over and over and over again. It's just stunning. It's, stag- it's I almost am embarrassed how much grace that I've just had dumped into my life over years. And you would say probably the same thing if you're a believer in Jesus. But one of the examples of it in my life is I, I early on in my career as an engineer, I was 22 years old. And I was given this engineering project to do, and uh, um, I set out to do something I thought was going to be great and transformative and make a big difference for our company and so on and so forth. And it just collapsed. And I mean, it was a debacle. It was a mess. And it cost the company back in the early 80s $13,000. So that would be a lot of money. It was a big flop. And so I had to go, you know, you, you fear this. You I had to go to my boss and say, okay, got to come out and look at what I did. And we kind of all we stood there and looked at this engineering mess, and he's probably wondering what in the world did I hire, and here we are. And uh, he looks at it, and we kind of hmm, hmm, and he turns to me, go, he goes, well, I guess we won't do that again, will we? And he smiles at me and walks away. <laughs> right? I mean, come on, I mean, I, I really thought, like, you're either going to fire me, or you're going to demote me, or you're going to start taking that out of my salary month by month until I've paid it all off. That's what I thought, and he's like, throws shows me this grace, like, That was just, it's stunning, right? Stunning. And so I've spent the rest of my life since those days, and it's been a long time now. I call him most every year, and I thank him for being such a good boss and for being so gracious and so kind and invest himself in me. I do it every year, and I spend the rest of my life trying to treat the people that work for me in the same way that he treated me. That's what I do. And it's a passionate thing for me. I care deeply to pass it on, what was given to me. That's what the gospel does, right? It magnifies love. It magnifies joy, right? I mean, I was just like, I went home dancing that day, like, right? Woohoo! I'm free, right? It's a nasty thing when Kevin's dancing, right? (laughs) But I'm called to be a preacher. So, but that's what grace does. Sin brings a wage. Mm -hmm. Just grace brings joy and love and praise to our God, right? And so that is the gospel and uh, how grace wins over over sin and death. Well, there's a second example now for us in verse 16 and 17. It says, and the free gift is not like the result of Of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Okay, so this is really super obvious. This one is like, okay, sin brings judgment, and that's different than grace, which brings justification. Pretty plain. Okay, if that was all this text said, it'd be pretty simple. But then he goes on and he says something quite a bit more. Verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned, there's the operative word there, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, we'll stop there for a second, you gotta receive this grace, and we talk about all these good things about grace, but it's something you gotta receive, okay, you gotta receive it, make a personal choice. For those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of the righteousness Reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ so here is this reigning and one which is sin and Adam's consequences reigns in death and those who believe in Jesus who receive the good gift of Christ's forgiveness reign in life so let's think about that for a moment here as we move toward the end of our, our time together death reigns through sin so when we sin we are going to die and um, the bible is really harsh about this actually and so because it is we should be harsh about it too right we want to be faithful to the scriptures but when we sin we're going to die there's physical death there's spiritual death separation from god the bible tells us that sin brings misery and it brings death and if we don't repent. It brings hell. It's an unpopular thing to talk about, but if we don't talk about it, we don't know what we're trying to get out of. We're told in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Those who refuse to repent and trust Christ. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immortal, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So here is what we're turning from, friends, right? That We're turning from this. We don't want that. Right, we don't want that and God says that when you were sinners when I was a sinner he loved us so much that he sent his son to die to take the penalty so we don't have to have that so when we receive the gospel we are turning from that but know that this is what death does to us it rains and unrepented of it just drives you into the grave and drives you into the pit of hell so in contrast this is the contrast right Those who receive the abundant grace, the free gift of righteousness, they reign in life, reign in life because Christ has taken the penalty of sin. We're not guilty when we receive his forgiveness and he's conquered the consequence of sin. He's risen from the dead. Come next week and we'll celebrate that like we do. He's he's risen from the dead. And so he has both paid the price for our sin and defeated the consequences so that Romans 8.37 says, in Christ we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We reign, Christians, (laughs) right? Or those who have not yet turned to Christ. You can reign in life so that Romans 8, just so many of these verses. So that we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And that if God is for us, who can possibly be against us? And if he gave his son up for us, won't he also with him graciously give us all things? This is reigning in life. Give your life to Jesus. God is for you, you cannot be stopped in his purposes. Furthermore, nothing in all of life or death or angels or rulers or things to come or things to pass or powers or heights or death, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. You reign in life. You will take the hell. You will stake the flag because God says in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will not fail to complete it in Christ Jesus. Christians, you got this? We're told that we will reign as kings and queens both now and forevermore, that we are co-seated with Christ in the heavenlies, which puts us in authority over sin. We can say no to sin. We don't have to do this dumb stuff that brings us misery any longer. Furthermore, the devil, when he comes against us, can be told to flee because we live in a place of power co-seated with Christ against the enemy. This is a place of reigning in life. And even the ultimate enemy, death is defeated in Jesus because the Bible tells us that in Christ death is gain it's gain right can you imagine being redeemed and being saved and having eternity promised to you but then told you're not going to die so you can get there you got to die to get that next step That's the best promotion ever, right? I I was reading a story this past week, an article, and there was a florist in New York State um, who had several deliveries for that day. But one was to a bank, from one president of a bank to another president of a bank, and one delivery of flowers was gonna go uh, to a a funeral service. And this florist got them switched. And so he sent to the bank president from another, sorry about your loss. Can you imagine getting that from another bank president? Like, what loss? Right? But he sent to the funeral, congratulations on your new location. (laughs) That's it, (laughs) right? Death is gain. You wanna talk about the world's best relocation? You want to talk about the greatest promotion? It's right on the other side of death's door, right? You will get the greatest house you've ever lived in because Jesus is going and building it for us right now. You will get the greatest job promotion you've ever had because we're told that those of us who have been faithful will now rule with Jesus over cities. You'll get the best family, no dysfunction, right? Best neighborhood, best of all you get Jesus and none of this can be taken away. Because it's eternal, it's everlasting life. That's what you get in Christ. And knowing that it is secure, and knowing that it's eternal, and knowing that it can't be taken away, lets us reign in life today. You can take risks, you can risk the the world, you can risk whatever you need to for Jesus, because it's all secure in Him take challenges that you might normally not face because your victory is assured you can really live you will reign in life in christ and so this morning short of saying let's make sure right that we've trusted christ as savior that we've received this bible says you got to receive it let's celebrate this good gospel do you believe this christians is god's word true do you reign in life is it secure death gain for you let's sing if you believe it you are good you are good when there's nothing good in me you are love you are love on display for all to see you are light you are light the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope. You have covered all my sin. You are peace, you are peace. When my fear is crippling, you are true, you are true.